Dear Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable unto you through the merits and mediation of that Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Uh, before I get into <clears throat> the subject of this Dean's class, let me just mention, uh, I, I see that uh, the Levins are not here, but uh, let me just comment. The question came up about Ishmael uh, right at the end of, uh, was it last Sunday? Yeah, last Sunday's class, and I didn't uh, have a chance to really talk through it because we were running out of time. And I think the question was, wouldn't Jesus have loved Ishmael equally as Isaac? And I think the point was, uh, that the, isn't the human race, regardless of religion, all one big family in the eyes of God? That's the way I took that question. And my response is that, yes, there's no question about it, that Jesus, Jesus loved all people as purely as anyone who ever lived. Uh, the question is, do people love Jesus in return and accept him for who he is? And if, uh, if anyone, if Ishmael or his descendants love Jesus for who he is and, and, and receive him for who he is, then I suspect it would cease to be Muslims. But that's my response uh, to that. So uh, I, I think I'll just leave it right there. <clears throat> Stepping down as the uh, dean of the Advent doesn't mean that I will leave ministry. I, I'm simply not interested in playing golf every day. Uh, well, you know, especially uh, if I have to play the senior tees. If I, if I you know, <clears throat> if I have to go to the gold tees, I, I'm, and, and I would need to. Well, I tell you the truth, I've gone to Google and I've looked up age division uh, about weight and age division boxing, and because I, <clears throat> I really have a kind of passion for that. But the Amateur Boxing Association, they have a, uh, a 40, can you believe it, 40 years old? That's the maximum they go for amateur uh, boxing by, by age limit. So I'm very disappointed about that. And I, I, don't, I don't want to particularly get in, in the ring with a 40-year-old, 140-pound uh, 40-year-old. I mean, I'll, but I'll take one to 70 above. I'll take him on, and I would enjoy that. But <clears throat> uh, in all seriousness, that is, there, there is some, I did Google that. Now, I am interested in it, but I can't find it. I would like to write. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure, honestly, that God has given me the gift for it. But I can tell you that God has given the passion, a passion for it. And I don't, I don't know where this will go. Uh, I, Exodus 23, 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and take you to the place which I have prepared uh, is, uh, is, is kind of a refrain in my life. And I, I look at that verse every single day and he'll take me right where he wants to go. So whether this will come to be or not, I don't know. But I do have a book uh, in my heart. And with the help of uh, some folks at Beeson, I've been working on a proposal. Uh, when, when, when you want to write a book, there's, a, there's two ways to go. You can self-publish, which a lot of people are doing these days. I'm really not interested in that. But if you go to a traditional publisher, you have to write a proposal. And I was warned that the proposal you write, because the, the guys that look at it, they look at the proposal and see whether they want to, want to invest in it or whether they encourage you to continue on with it. Proposal comes way before you write the book. Uh, and I've been working on a proposal. But part of the proposal includes, there's a lot of things it includes. And I was told it's more complex than the book itself. Uh, and I believe that now. Uh, it's been quite a job putting this proposal together. Part of the proposal includes a one-sentence description of the book. Uh, Christianity, you know, is up front uh, about 
the, the idea that everything uh, is not hunky-dory. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear that we live in a broken world and that our lives can be burdened by guilt. It would be the top of the, top of the list there, bad news, coping with the law, shattered dreams, craving for approval, discontentment, fear, and then ultimately coping with death. So the one-sentence description is simply this. The proposed book will feature a collection of New Yorker cartoons and how they may point <clears throat> to both the reality of living in a broken world and to the enduring hope that has been given to us. The only book that I've ever seen anything like, that I've seen very much like about it uh, is a book that was written in 1965 by Robert Short, and it's The Gospel According to Peanuts. Uh, and it, was, it, it, it actually is a very good book, but it's been, so it's been a number of years. Some of you nod your head, you have seen that book, and it's, it's a pretty darn good book. I wasn't even aware of it until after I got into the proposal when I had said, this is unique. I, I, I've never seen a book. And someone said, no, it's actually it's not unique, that in 65 there was one, and it, it sold quite well. It, it, it did quite well. Another part of the proposal includes a statement about why you should be the one that write, to write this particular book. Uh, and w one reason uh, that, that I've stated that I have, I'm the one to write this particular book is because I have a passion now for what that I, I resisted as a younger man, and that is the classic, unrevised Christian faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. But there's another reason <clears throat> that, that I think I'm the one that, to write this particular book. Uh, if you remember, if you heard me talk about it, that right after college I joined my father in a third-generation clothing store, and I stayed there for 20 years in the business with my father. And those were 20 years of fierce agnosticism uh, and uh, experience with many of, of life's dark tragedies and dangerous uh, temptation. Uh, and I even, as I write the proposal, I even have a cartoon for that, uh, which would go, let's see, now I got to go to, uh, okay. I am not where I do the show yet, Gil. I thought I was ready to go up or down, but apparently... I'm not. Okay? Are you there? Well, yeah, I got to get to where it says show, go to, go to slideshow. Well, yeah, I need to go where it says slideshow. You want to go to a different slide? Well, I want to go up or down and show a different slide. Probably from start. Not doing it. Yeah. Flipping around. You want to get this one. Hmm. Can you go back there on the go back to the top for me? Or just like I had it. Yeah, play some start. This is how it picks up. Oh, didn't do that at home. So. <laughs> didn't do that at home. All right. Go to that one. Do you know which one you're looking for? That one right there, number one. Okay. Yeah. And everything's in order, right? Yeah. Okay. Just hit down and it'll go through. You know what, guys? I'll be honest with you. Jane is not here. Uh, she's with a very sick dog at home. And she said, you know, you're going to need me there. And I said, I won't need you, Jane. I mean, I got this. This is, this is, this is easy. Well, and then there you go. Uh, how should I introduce the book? Well, it, it, see... Our next, can you read the captions? Our next speaker looked into the abyss and made a few notes. My whole point is, uh, that's me. Uh, how should the book be introduced? How's everything? 
the, the human condition is such that everything will never be all right. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people come up to you and say, how's everything? And, and, and my answer is that, well, sometimes if I'm having a bad day, I'll say, uh, you know, it's a few things are okay. Or, uh, or I, on, on a really, when, when there's nothing but blue skies, I may say both things are all right. But everything, everything, no, not in this world will ever be all right. There are a lot of people struggling. They're struggling with themselves. They're struggling with people they love. They're struggling with people they don't love. And they were struggling with uh, the reality of living in a broken world. And cartoons can, can have a kind of profound way uh, of pointing to the human condition. And in a sense, they serve as modern-day parables. We find ourselves in the parables. And my prayer is that the people, will, as they go through it, will identify with the cartoons, either by personal, by personal experience or by the truth of the broken world in which we live. Uh, and through the expositions that follow, the, that, that go along with the cartoons, be reminded of the hope that does not disappoint us. And so the, the, the whole idea is to, to start off by talking about the human condition. And the human condition or the human predicament, the first question uh, to be asked about the human condition is what's wrong with the world? And if you ask what's wrong with the world, we have to start with one place. Uh, the only place I know to start is, and that's the fall, and that is original sin. Uh, and this, of course, original sin, the fall tells how we, how we, how we uh, fell from Eden in the first place. And so the, the title uh, of the first chapter is, Why Do Good People Do Bad Things? Uh, and the lead cartoon there will be, will be uh, uh, this one. You can't blame everything uh, by being homeschooled by bank robbers. Now, you've probably seen that cartoon before. That's a profound cartoon because it certainly points to the doctrine of original sin. And there will, there will, there will be those who will feel like uh, if this is the beginning point of understanding this imperfect wor world, doesn't that reveal in the author some bitterness or disillusion uh, with people? And I can only say that what I want to do, I don't intend to propose to put forward a personal opinion or a theory uh, about that commends itself as a possible explanation to the human condition, uh, but rather put forth something that the Bible teaches, uh, and also, for that matter, something that is empirically, uh, empirically verifiable. Uh, Orthodox theologians know that you have to, if you don't understand original sin, you're not going to get the solution right. Or as the, as the old saying goes, our anthropology, our understanding of humanity, in, uh, determines our soteriology. That, that is, you know, the, the salvation. Uh, what we consider to be the answer. Uh, so it's kind of like buttoning up a coat, a long coat. If you get the wrong button in the wrong buttonhole, when you get to the top, you're not going to get it right. So, uh, yes, indeed, we are, we are created in the image of God, and very normal people are, are capable of doing and thinking wonderful things. Uh, we can point to our capacity for kindness, charity, love, mercy, compassion, and so on. And yet, even these wonderful things that we can do, these flashes of goodness, are also flawed. Uh, and I, I think the, this cartoon points to that. Uh, <clears throat> that driver got the thank you note, thank you away that I deserve. Isn't that true? Uh, how I, even the good things that we do are flawed. There's some selfishness uh, involved in it. Flashes, flashes of good, despite that, realistic people, whether they're religious or not, have to admit that something is wrong everywhere. Now, I've taught, I know I've done classes on original sin. This is nothing new. I'm giving you an overview of the book, and this is the way it starts. It's not to say that people simply make mistakes. 
Now, I've talked about this before, but you're in modern-day parlance. Uh, I made a mistake is really a euphemism for sin, a socially unacceptable or morally bad practice uh, uh, behavior. In one of his sermons, John Andrew, he was the previous rector of St. Thomas Fifth Avenue in New York City. That's where Fred T. Orley came from. But he made that clever distinction between mistake uh, and sinful behavior. In this case, it was adultery. A man leaving a restaurant picks up the wrong umbrella. That's a mistake. But you know what your wife looks like? That's a sin. <laughs> I called I call John. And I said, I remember you said that. And may I use that if this book gets off the ground? He said, absolutely. I get so, it, it irritates me to dickens out of it. it, it, it but Tiger Woods got up there and said he made a mistake. It irritated me. So you got to know, you got to know this guy. <laughs> So, but in, in this book, I'm making a point that, that, that when I speak of when I speak of uh, something's wrong with people, I'm speaking. I'm not speaking of making a mistake. That's one thing I want to clarify. I'm talking about the old-fashioned word is sin, morally or socially bad behavior, including evil thoughts. It doesn't matter how educated somebody is. It doesn't matter how what socioeconomic level they came from. It, to tell you the truth, it doesn't even really matter whether they are civilized or not. Something in human nature uh, is not right. And the Bible teaches that we were born with this flawed condition. The psalmist put it plainly. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Have you ever noticed that people are more rude in their cars when they're in traffic than they are, say, when they, when they are in the grocery store line? You ever notice that? Now, why is that? You, you, you're, you're sheltered. Uh, and the real you will come out a lot quicker in the car than the grocery store line. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, that's a profound cartoon. I hate it when Jane tells me that. When we... But, you know, when she does, I know exactly what she's talking about. See, Jane knows things about me that you would not believe. Well... You probably would. One of the occurring themes of St. Augustine's life was, why in the world did I do that? Uh, that that's, if you read his book, Confessions, you will see that that's one of the recurring themes. Like, why, why did I do that? What made me do that? Augustine could identify with St. Paul when he wrote, I don't understand my own actions from Romans chapter 7. I do, for I do not what I want to do, but the very thing I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do is no longer... I didn't do it. It's sin that dwells within me. He saw it was inherent. So Augustine got it right. Augustine held that the effects of Adam's sin are transmitted to his descendants, not by example, but by kind of a psychogenetically transmitted blood kinship. And if this is true, then the words of that man to his cellmate, you can't blame everything on being homeschooled by bank robbers, is profoundly true. Now, there are those who insist that the idea of this universal corruption of human nature is an insult to human dignity. But the question uh, uh, is not whether the doctrine of original sin is an insult to human dignity. The question is whether it's true or not. And what an honest man would, would want to believe it if it's not true, but also what an what honest man or woman would not want to believe it if it is true. But I believe in the, in the classic understanding of original sin, not because the Bible teaches it, because that's one reason, or not even because I see it in other people. I can see it operating in other people, but uh, because I can observe, observe it operating in my own life. And so, yeah, 
Uh, I hate it when Jane tells me this. I mean, I'm basically a good guy until somebody provokes me unexpectedly. <laughs> Suddenly uh, uh, and unexpectedly. But you see, it's not the suddenness of the provocation that makes me an ill-tempered man. It only shows what ill-tempered man I am to begin with. For every human being, there's something inherent from my birth that causes knee-jerk reactions, impatience, unpredictable bad moods, greed, lust, covetousness, envy, self-indulgement, indulgement, and I could list about a whole lot of other things. We could alphabetize them. You take the music ever since the, the Back to the Future movie. Ever since then, we've been kind of enchanted with the idea of going back and forth in the future. And who can deny that if we took a machine forward 50, 100 centuries of years into the future, unless Jesus has come again, we would, what would we, we would find that there's no change in human nature. We might be amazed, we would be amazed that the means of transportation, scientific, medical, uh, and technological advancements would be too wondrous to behold. I don't think we could even absorb it right now, depending on how far we went. But we would still find the familiar infidelity, theft, cheating, little white lies, big bold lies, and wars, and rumors of wars, according to Jesus. And, of course, if we took a time machine back in history, what would we find? Well, we certainly find, as we heard in the sermons, there were certainly things we idealized. We find great uh, inspirational acts of courage, heroic de uh, uh, determination, kindness, charity, love, mercy, compassion. But also find this, we find the same dark side of human nature. See, that's right. See, the thing is, what, you know, they, they're going to do, by virtue of being dean, you get your portrait done here. And so this is kind of the way I visualize when, when my ancestors come, uh, I'll be dead and gone. But they say, hey, you know, that guy was crazy. There's always been a resistance to the doctrine of original sin. And not necessarily because of lack of theological education. I have been appalled as I've talked to people who are seminary graduates, some whom are ordained, some fairly recently at a clergy conference, who are saying, Frank, you really don't believe that, do you? And I, I've just been absolutely amazed. What has persisted through the years, even among our ordained clergy, is what I would call a blank slate view of human nature. This naive and biblically uninformed idea that we come into the world with a kind of blank, clean slate and we learn to be bad by external factors. And as a result, poor parenting, <clears throat> which is terrible, bad sociological and cultural conditions replace original sin as the underlying problem. Like this guy. He blames all the violent cave paintings. <clears throat> and who can deny that the violent cave paintings don't exacerbate the problem or, or bad social conditions? Of course they do. But the, the blank slate view insists that we are inherently and basically good people who learn to be bad. And that's become, I, I, I'm getting a little more bold and forthright, but that's become a kind of the Episcopal understanding in this church of, of, of what it is. And all we got to do is put people in the right area and lecture them and, and get, them, get them straightened and everything will be fine. Well, it's never happened before in the history of the world. 
And you have to get it right. Now, why? Why is it so important to get it right? Why is it so important to grasp this? I want to suggest in the first chapter that understanding the human condition in light of the truth can be curiously liberating. How can this be? Well, because we have to start with the fact that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said no one is good but God. He didn't say not many people are good with God. He didn't say most people are not good but God. He said no one is good but God. And the Apostle Paul said there is no distinction. All is sin. All fall short of the glory of God. Some men aren't deceitful. Some men are dead. That's why. <clears throat> See what's called comic relief? You're a figment of my imagination and you still aren't perfect. <clears throat> you can't even imagine perfection. Why is it seriously, why is understanding this seri uh, liberating? Well, once in grade school, I was the only one who flunked. And it was humiliating. But were you ever in a classroom in which everyone flunked? I can tell you from experience that universal failure is curiously liberating because we're all in the same boat. And when you understand that human nature is all basically has the same disease, uh, then when you see a fellow human being fall, aren't you, aren't you more ready to say, there but by the grace of God go I? Our hope is in the old, old story of Jesus and his love. What, this, 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 is our, this is where we turn. And I have come to see, like a broken record, I've said it here in my years at Advent, that grace, that is, being loved when you don't deserve it, is the, is the beginning of a heart that begins to crumble in thanksgiving and transformation really takes place. And not good advice from Mr. or Mrs. Worldly Wise Man. They're always ready to give you good advice. <laughs> See, these cartoons are funny, but they're like parables. They have a punch to them. No amount of lecture. No amount of good advice. No threat. Not even a prescription for, for spiritual exercises can truly transform a stony heart. The only thing I know is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that is curiously liberating and it's the beginning of a new lease on life. I can't fully explain it. Now that's pretty much in a nutshell uh, kind of where I'm going in the first chapter. And in the subsequent chapters and cartoons, I want to continue to explore the human condition as it pertains to living in a broken world, ultimately pointing to uh, the faith and the hope that has been given to us. So I begin with why do good people do bad things? And the next question in understanding the human condition is why do bad things happen to good people? Quote, good people. If you could ask God one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? Well, I can tell you from experience, you, you know, a lot of people would want to know, well, when I die, will I see people that I used to love and I know those are the kinds of questions a lot of people, but I can tell you from experience that for most people, the question is, why is there pain and suffering in the world? 
Why do children have cancer? Why diseases? Why tornadoes? Why tsunamis? Innocent suffering is the primary objection to Christianity, which claims that, that God is both loving and also omnipotent. And if that be the case, then, then, then what's going on here? It's a serious cartoon, this one is. Yeah, that's the this thing you shake hands and you get shot, you know. So here's Michelangelo's picture of God reaching out to Adam. So Adam reaches out and, you know, you know, is is this like? It's a it's a very serious cartoon. And it's become iconic of humanity and has been reproduced in countless parodies. You know, we all have the children's hymn. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. In this last verse, he gave us eyes to see them and lips that we might tell how great is God Almighty who has made all things well. Well, hearing this verse, in light of suffering, unless you have a very mature spiritual insights, then you either have to kind of put your head in a bucket and just shrug your shoulders. I mean, where is love divine, all loves excelling in this? No one would wish cancer on a child, and everyone would strive hard to prevent it. The fancy word for reconciling a loving God with life-altering tragedy and suffering is called theodicy. And theodicy is the the subject of, of this part of the second chapter. It's a study, a defense of God's goodness and omnipotence in view of the existence of evil and misfortune. There are many reflections from my ministry, people who have suffered, people who are, are going through hard times. I, I think of, uh, of uh, Charles Dickens' great short story, Hard Times. Why do bad things, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I don't know. I, I can tell you that as you look back into the scriptures, you begin to search. The only thing I can tell you is that we have a good, a good, a little bit of insight here. You remember when Lazarus died and Martha ran out to meet Jesus because he had delayed. They said, come early, you'll come. But he was delayed and, and Lazarus died. If he'd gotten there earlier, could have saved his life. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, uh, Lazarus would not have died. And do you remember what Jesus said to her? Uh, he said, uh, he, he said, your brother will rise again. It wasn't a defense. It wasn't an argument. He didn't try to undo the, 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 the past. Uh, he just said, your brother will rise again. Uh, it, it wasn't an argument. It was a promise. And he said, your brother, and he said, Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. Do you believe this? And the way you answer that question will reveal who or what you believe has the last word. Does cancer have the last word? Does blindness, dementia, does death have the last word? Or does Jesus Christ, the one who stepped out of the grave on Easter morning, have the last word. It's a heavy chapter. And that's why these cartoons are it's called that's why it's called comic relief. 
Now, the next, as the next aspect of the human condition uh, is this craving we have for acceptance, part of the human condition. You've got original sin, you've got suffering, and now you've got this craving that we have, this constant craving for what the Bible calls justification, acceptance, approval, respect, admiration. Uh, and I, I have to lead off with this, this one. This is one of my favorites here. Uh, yeah, there it is. You know, I love that. And the fact is, uh, when the last football game I went to in Clemson, we were, Jane and I were walking down, and, and this, uh, this young uh, college guy there with, with his co-ed debt, she was gorgeous, this gorgeous girl. Uh, and so I was there, and I said, wait a minute. I said, excuse me, would you mind taking a picture of me with my girlfriend? I said, Jane, sitting over there. I said, Jane, will you hold the camera? And I, I go over there. And, and, no, it's true, I did, and it was just a lot of fun. But uh, but the guy who was with uh, she was a cheerleader. The, the, the guy who was with the cheerleader uh, just thought it was hilarious, and I did too. Jane didn't. But she. Why would this man want his picture taken with this uh, man's girl, uh, pretty girlfriend? Who was it? Who was it? Told me the other day about the story of the fishing. The guy went out to fish for big fish, swordfish. Who, who was it? Somebody here. He went out, he rented a boat, he and a couple other fishermen that wanted to go out there, and they didn't catch anything, but the guy he went with caught this huge fish. So he gets one of their fish, big one, and holds it up and gets his picture taken. Yeah, and he takes it back home, and the, and the, and the newspaper, the town newspaper, gets the picture of it and puts it in. Big catch. Sam Jones makes big catch, you know. Uh, that's hilarious. Well... Why would this man want his picture taken with this other man's girlfriend? It's the same reason that you would like your picture, a lot of you would like your picture taken with Nikki Saban. The exact same reason. It's the same reason that we put on our windshields, my child's an honor student at that and such a place. And I always say, gosh, you know, you're, you must really have superior genes. Well, that's incredible. <laughs> are, are you thankful or are you proud? Which are you? Life can be a treadmill of trying to prove ourselves, to justify ourselves. All those things are a way of justifying ourselves. We're there. We've arrived. It just can be a treadmill of doing that. But we don't have to live that way like this poor lady does. <laughs> See, the, the remarkable thing about Christianity is your identity doesn't have to be wrapped up with who you are. Your identity is wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. And when you put on, I mean, how high do you want to go? And who can take it away from you? See, that is ultimate fulfillment. I wish my identity weren't so wrapped up with who I am. You don't have to. Your identity isn't. That's the good news. Now I want to jump into the next aspect, and that's the issue of discontentment. Unfulfillment. Is this not a part of the human condition? C.S. Lewis said, I find in myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Worldly possessions will never meet our needs. We will always want more. If I could just be a member of this club, if I could just have a, live on a different part of town, I would be fulfilled. There's always a higher plateau. It's never enough. 
Can you read it? These are profound. These are profound cartoons. We'll be happy here and until we aren't happy. It's ultimately, that's not what's going to make you happy. Human condition, here it is. Life is always green on the other side of the fence, isn't it? If I could just have that job that John Doe has, I'd be content. Well, how about there? <laughs> it's never quite enough, is it? Jane hates it when I pull that one. I don't know. <laughs> I told her at the cocktail party not long ago, I said, yeah, I got a trophy like that. I wouldn't call her first place, but she was <laughs> first runner-up. <laughs> the author of Hebrews said, said, uh, be content with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I'll never forsake you. Now, that's easier said than done. But only when you find Jesus Christ to be all-sufficient uh, is when you will say that. How about fear? Fear is a part of the human condition. What's there to be afraid of? Doctor comes out. <laughs> fear, fear of failure? Cutting the light off? Of course, if this one flops, we're done. He's holding plan Z. In his hand. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, you got to read the captions because uh, they, they, they are. As it pertains to the human condition, the greatest enemy of all when it comes to fear is what? Death. Death is the fear beyond all fears. Because it will come to everybody. Well, that was a birthday party the kids won't soon forget. (laughs) (laughs) What's that I was saying? That which does not kill me will what? Yeah. Well... Okay. What it'll do is only postpone the inevitable. That's what it'll do it. Now, the Christian hope begins with awareness. Uh, That's the beginning point. Awareness and confession. So I go from human condition now to hope. And it begins with awareness. What is a typical response to the the helplessness of the human condition? As we move forward now to look at hope, the typical response to help us of human condition is denial. <laughs> Mama, let's see, uh, in order to get, uh, I feel better now that I'm back in denial. 
There's one that I'm missing where the lady says, in order to get through this, I've had to find an inner strength that I've never knew I had in my medicine cabinet. <laughs> I wish I had it for it. It's hilarious. Escape. Mama and Daddy and their friends are pretending they don't have horrible lives now. <laughs> You're going back to bed. <laughs> and so you have the escape, you got denial, and then there's the realist. Compost? I say it's manure and I say to hell with it. <laughs> The human, uh, the, the uh, Christians are aware that the world has fallen, and it's not getting any better. <clears throat> uh, you know, I had someone very close to me. That was my daughter, and she was telling me about. And she's had it tough, and she was telling me about this little everything that had gone wrong. And, and I finally, I said, you know, McLean, I said, I wish I could tell you skid better, but it's not. I wish I could say now, now everything's gonna be fine. I said, I can't tell you that. I said, the only thing I can tell you is it ain't going to get better. And uh, I, I reminded her of an old high school, there used to be a high school cheerleader song that we would play somebody who'd be winning the basketball game. We'd say, cheer up, Aiken, the worst is yet to come. And I kind of did that. <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's just the truth. And there's only one place to turn that I know of in the midst of that reality, and that's to Jesus Christ. Uh, but, yeah, I, awareness. Uh, awareness and confession are, are the gateways uh, to the Christian hope. It's, it's, uh, it's the real, we, we do live in a broken world. And then there's confessions. Uh, a man told me, I have no regrets. He said, well, yeah, it's been a good life. And I don't have many regrets. And I want to say, Cut. You, you what? You have no regrets. Okay. Well, the things that should bother me don't. Should I be worried? I say, yeah, you know what? You should be worried. I mean, even Superman, kryptonite isn't my only problem, okay? <laughs> this guy's got it right. Ms. Brown, remember all those things I said I did on my vacation? Well, I didn't. The truth of the matter is honesty before God is the only way. You can't plead cute. <laughs> Tell me something. If you were a librarian in this next cartoon, where would you send this man? Where would you send him? I want to read something directly targeted at me. Would you send him to the self-help selection of the books? Of the beyond help. Well, ultimately, you would send him to the Bible. Because the Bible will direct us, in light of the human condition, to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior and Redeemer of the world and all that's wrong with it. Through his death and resurrection, he will take us to the place which he has prepared for us, the same place from which Adam was expelled. And there in heaven, where the soul of man never dies, we will find eternal paradise. And here's the conclusion. It's Eden. You don't have to keep checking for this.
Well, that's it. The content, as you can see, of, of comic relief cartoons and human condition is—it's uh, a—it's a serious book. But uh, but hopefully, the cartoons will will offer some comic relief without without detracting from or vitiating the reality and certainly the hope that Christians have been given. So thank you very much. And uh, gosh, you know, it, it's just—I got to go. I'm going to start on this, but. Uh, the reality of, of winding down my ministry is kind of overwhelming right now. But I, I looked at the chart, and uh, the way things are scheduled right now, this is this that's, you just had my last dean's class. We got before long before uh, all I may bump somebody uh, in January. Long before I did this, Andrew, it just happened. Andrew happens to be the next speaker for the next dean's class. It wasn't designed that way, but it, it worked out fine. I'm delighted uh, for that. And then Mark Gentilette is due up for another series. So, but uh, uh, here it is. I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll probably squeeze another one in and see where that takes me. But thank you for listening to this. And if you have any ideas, if you have any uh, thoughts on it, uh, then then let me know. If you got some suggestions, a lot of the things that I've things that I've done end up preaching about, and ideas that I have of communicating the Christian gospel have come from you. So continue to do that, and I thank you for that. So let's go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.